hey, why don't you pray with me, all right? Lord, we're here today because we want to hear from you. Uh, We want to drown out all the distractions. We're at the end of the summer. We're getting ready to change, fall, school, all these things are happening, and we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you want to speak into our life, what you want to heal, and so we're listening. And so I pray that you would cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit so that we could perfectly love you and worthily magnify your name. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, I heard about this church in uh, Portage, Indiana, uh, that's full of unbelievably amazing people. And so I've spent the last four weeks driving 3,000 miles across the country just to come see you. And you are amazing. Yeah. Uh, my name's Scott. If you're a guest with us, I actually have the privilege of serving here as one of the pastors. And I've been on sabbatical and uh, am back today. I'll show you some pictures from sabbatical in a second. I need, to, I need to do a little bit of business, a little bit of business before we jump into the message for today. Just some, uh, some housekeeping kinds of things that are important. Uh, number one, I got some terrible news during sabbatical uh, that Reed and Ariel, our youth pastor, are moving back to their hometown to be near their grandparents. And uh, that was a kick in the gut because I love Reed and you love Reed. And um, he has done an unbelievable job with our students and with our volunteers. My wife would routinely say, I've just never seen anybody who's able to gather people around him like that. And he's done an unbelievable job and we're going to miss him terribly um, yeah, you can absolutely see. Is Reed here? I don't know if Reed's, I don't know if Reed's in the room or not. Um, but I want to. I want to tell you personally. I have a, a middle school student who has benefited from Reed, and um, on the days when he would come in and I would pick him up from school, and he would have had a bad day at school, and he would come with me here into the office, and he would go sit down in Reed's office, and Reed would talk to him and listen to his stories and laugh with him, and my kid is different and better because of Reed, and so I, uh, I'm so uh, deeply grateful to Reed for what, the way he's invested in, in my kid and in my family, so uh, we're sad to do that. We're, we're, I think next Sunday we're going to have a, a reception for him that you can say... Uh, uh, we love you, and, and we hate you for leaving, but we still love you. <laughs> um, uh, so we're going to do that next Sunday. We'll, we'll get the details out to you. But uh, there's that. But then today, uh, Josh Keen is here. He's our new arts pastor. Josh, I don't know where you're at. Or there, there. Can you stand up, Josh? Josh is here, yeah? Josh is an amazing human being, loves Jesus with all of his heart. His wife, Heidi, his boys, Mike and Jonah, they started school. Yeah, I've been, I literally just came back yesterday into all this, so, uh, but he's here. I, would you please welcome him from day one with love, with hugs, you're going to love him, and he'll be leading uh, for the first time next week, but um, I want you to make sure you make them feel incredibly welcome from day one. Can you do that for me? Okay, thank you. Uh, I want to show you some pictures. I, I got some pictures. We kind of we put about three thousand miles on our van. We drove out west. Uh, Hudson, that's my our, our, our uh, high schooler, went to NYC. That was kind of the first thing that happened. That's them in the parking lot. All the students getting ready to leave. Uh, just keep clicking through the slides. My our daughter Carrington went to camp. Uh, my wife went as a counselor. She's very organized. Uh, so this is how she packs for things. Her room is like pristine. It's pretty amazing. We drove across South Dakota. This is somewhere in the middle of South Dakota. It's Corbin, um, our middle son. 
It was one of the camps of Lewis and Clark. We went to the Badlands of South Dakota, which are like this miniature Grand Canyon. Keep clicking there. You can click through them, and I'll talk through these. We hiked. and that look, It's not nearly as terrifying as it looks, uh, but it looks terrifying. We went to a place called Wall Drug, uh, where we rode jackalopes. I think we have the next picture of Corbin on a jackalope uh, that run wild there in South Dakota. Be careful. Uh, we went, I found a rabbit, a few weeks ago I talked about rabbit's foot, my wife found me a rabbit's foot, so I'm back to that. Apparently there was a craze on social media about how you age yourself, so there's me, I participated uh, when I'm older. Uh, this is my favorite picture of the whole trip, we went to Mount Rushmore and did our own pose of, uh, of the, the presidents right there, uh, which we love that, that was a great time. Uh, we went to the Colorado, friends uh, let us stay in their cabin at 9,000 feet. And we went to Colorado, saw the mountains. This is us on top of Pikes Peak, 14,000 feet. My wife about had a panic attack driving up the road because it's, it's, it's terrifying if you've ever been there. This is us getting ready to go fishing in the mountains. Uh, I think my boys bought, uh, oh, there we are. We went to Dallas. I thought I had a picture of them whittling, but I don't. I went to Dallas and saw my dad and, uh, and my stepmom. Uh, that's the kids with um, my dad. Then we went to Florida. Clear, uh, that's Fort Myers, the beach right there. It was unbelievably beautiful and hot. My wife, this is a picture of my wife. She just said, look off into the distance and be thoughtful. And that's what you get, right? <laughs> so I <laughs> uh, just made that up, and that's us eating, uh, eating a meal right there by the, by the wharf in Florida. Uh, but I, I uh, ice cream, all those kinds of things uh, with friends in St. Louis and my wife and I. So I just want to tell you thank you. Um, man, what a gift um, this has been. I want to thank our staff who's done an outstanding job. Mike stepped in volunteer-wise. <laughs> And um, I just want to tell you, thank you. Thank you for letting us have this gift. Uh, if you don't know, a sabbatical is a thing that happens every seven years. And uh, we offer that to our staff, our, our leadership team. And, and so thank you. This is an incredible gift. I, um, I'll tell you a little bit more about it in the message. But uh, I'm just so grateful to you for this gift uh, to our family. And it was an incredible time, incredible time of rejuvenation. And uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I want to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to talk to you today about four lessons I learned, and and they're coming from uh, one of my favorite psalms. I want to invite you to stand with me. We read together the scriptures each week, um, and we stand together out of respect for God's word. And we're going to be reading the 23rd psalm, maybe the most famous psalm, one of the most famous passages of scripture um, uh, in all of the Bible. And I'll um, read it aloud, and you can follow along. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Well, this series that we've been in all summer uh, called A A Retweetable Life is about living a life of faith. And what we've been trying to say through the series is that faith is not something like wishful thinking. Uh, Faith is not your ability to have faith in faith. Uh, Faith is not some spiritual version of crossing your fingers. 
And so we've been trying to say, if you want to have a retweetable life, uh, then you need to have faith. And it's important that you see and understand faith the way the biblical authors understood it. And they had two things. If you remember all the way at the, the back uh, of the beginning of the series, we started in Hebrews chapter 11. And there the writer of Hebrews tells us that, that faith has two things. Number one, uh, the confidence that God is, is here, that God is there, that underneath everything, the great reality is God, and that when everything is blown away in your life, when you stand naked on the world's stage, that God alone remains. And it's the confidence that God is there, and this is the second thing, that you act on what you currently don't see. Uh, that means, here's, here's what that means for your life. That means that you are always then oriented toward possibility and hope because you see the possibility of something different in your life and so that you can realize, though you may feel the pain of being stuck in the present, you know you're not. In fact, if you want to kill despair the way you kill despair is with faith. Now, I use this illustration, and, and maybe you remember this. Uh, but just to describe what the biblical authors mean by faith when they talk about we act on what we don't currently see, as you going to Amazon.com and you order something that you need, did this, uh, this last week, our iron died, and so I went on to Amazon, I found the best rated uh, iron for the cheapest price, and I clicked that little button that you've probably clicked that said place order. I was acting, I didn't see the iron in front of me, but I knew the possibility the iron existed, and so I clicked the button. Now this is, you need to understand, this is really important, that's an act of faith, as the biblical writers put it. We don't put our hope in what we think might happen. We have absolute confidence. We don't currently see it, but we act right now as though it is. You need to understand that. So in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the writer says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Turn to your neighbor and say, God rewards me. Okay, now say that again like you actually mean it. God rewards me. Now, I want to argue with you for a second. Uh, I, I, and this is what I want to argue with you about for a second, is that you cannot have a satisfying life without faith. In other words, you can't have a satisfying life if you don't have confident, confidence about what's really real, and you don't have the ability to act based on what you don't currently see. Let me give you two very, very practical examples. Um, the first is, if you are raising kids, you have to have faith to raise kids well. In other words, you have to have confidence that there's more than this season. I remember when my kids were really little and they were still in diapers, and I thought, this is never going to end. <laughs> I'm going to be knee-deep in this stuff for the rest of my life. But, I, but somebody else told me, they said, no, no, don't worry this ends. I remember the day uh, our last uh, Carrington was out of diapers, and it would be, it had been I don't know seven years or so, maybe more than that, that we'd bought diapers every week, changed diapers, thrown diapers away, dealt with all of the things that go along with diapers, and I went, oh, oh, it's not always going to be like this. I had confidence that this season was not was not it. Same thing happens when your kids in middle school. Same thing cap happens when your kids in high school. 
you have to have confidence that there's more uh, than this season and that it won't always be like this. And then you act right now as a parent on what you want them to become because you don't currently see what they are going to become and you're really worried about what they're going to become, but you make choices and decisions right now based on what you want to see in the future. Great parents are people of faith. There's no other way to do it. I'll give you another example, um, and maybe this is not this, this uh, maybe, maybe the 11 o'clock will, will resonate with this a little more, but finding someone to marry. Now, maybe you are looking for someone to marry. Maybe they're sitting next to you. I don't know. Uh, but if you're looking to find someone to marry, you have to have confidence that marriage is good and that it's a secure place to love and be loved. And that act of confidence, I, like, that, that I would like to live in the state of matrimony. I think that would be good for me. And then you act right now on what you currently don't see happening. See, it takes faith to find the right person. Listen, the way most people think about faith is wishful thinking or it's just hoping won't help you raise kids or find the right person to marry. But biblical faith will. So the series has been about that. Now, I want you to, uh, if you have your notes, I want you to take them out, and if you can find some space on there, I'd like you to write down uh, four numbers, number one, number two, number three, and number four. And uh, at the start of each of them, you can put the word I, okay? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you four lessons, four things that I learned, that the Lord showed me, helped me learn, and I'm still learning uh, from this time away. And they all start with I, and they're very personal to me, but I think they can help you. And, um, uh, and I want you to write I because I want, you to, I want you to own these. At the end, I want you to go, yeah, I do, I, I do, I do need those things. I do need those four things. Here's, here's the first, uh, first thing, and if you want to write down what it is. I need peace to thrive. I need peace to thrive. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need peace to thrive. Now, I don't know about you, but the Bible is my dictionary for defining life's most important words. And that word peace uh, in the scriptures, there's the, the Hebrew translation of that, is the, the Hebrew word shalom. I'm sure you've probably heard that word before. Could you just say that word with me? Say shalom. Shalom. Here's what shalom means. Shalom means um, whole, uh, complete. All the parts are there. When sons would go off to war in ancient Israel and they would come home, the mom would meet them at the door and she would look them up and down, look at their ears and their fingers and their toes and she would say, are you shalom? Are you whole? Do you have all your fingers and toes? Are the tips of your ears still there? Are, are you complete? Now, I, I, uh, here's, what, here's what I realize is that... Um, Life kicks you around. Uh, my boys, we, we gave our kids some money um, to spend. I think we gave them 50 bucks or something like that uh, to spend on the trip. And, and it was kind of brilliant, but we didn't realize how brilliant it was because that meant that every place that we stopped, they didn't come ask us for things. We would say, well, do you have enough money? And they would go, mm, I don't think I want to buy that. So there you go, free tip. Uh, but they, they, one of the things the boys bought is they bought, uh, they bought little knives at Wall Drug in South Dakota. And uh, while we're in Colorado, they turned into whittlers. You know, they're like, oh, I'm a whittle, Dad. It's great. Check out my stick. Yeah. And, and uh, so I, I was showing them how to whittle because, you know, I'm such an experienced whittler. And um, I, I had one of their knives, and I was poking like this, and I, I jammed the knife 
into my thumb. I mean, I didn't split it all the way open, and I might have possibly should have gone to the emergency room, but I just kind of put it back together, and it's it's still, like, that was several weeks ago, and this is still, this is still really sensitive. That's kind of a metaphor for life. You think you got all the parts, and then, oh! And it has a tendency to take away your wholeness, take away your shalom, take away your peace. And what I realized, and it took rest to be able to see it, and I'll talk more about that in a second, is that I was living out of a lack of peace, and I didn't even know it. Now, if you want a measurement for how that works, this, is, this worked for me. Um, there's a difference between being driven and having drive. If you have drive, you need motivation to do things, and you need drive to say, you know, this is important, and my family's important, and my job's important. You need drive and motivation, and that's really, really important. But it's a whole different reality when you're driven, and I didn't, I didn't, realize, I didn't even realize. Because when you're driven, it's like you're the dog on the sled, and the whip is, and you feel like, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go, and you pass on this sense of urgency to every, everything around you, and I didn't realize that's what I was doing. And so I wasn't whole. Now listen, listen. You and I need peace to thrive. Now notice what I didn't say. Not survive. Because you and I can survive without peace. It's just not a very enjoyable life. But if you want to thrive, then you need peace. You need shalom. You need healing for the knife that goes into your thumb. I, I, it was kind of surprising to me when I realized, okay, I need peace to thrive. I hear you. I hear what you're saying, Lord. I started to see the word peace in the Bible everywhere. Shocker. <laughs> Paul opens all of his letters, and he has the same greeting in all of his letters. He says, grace to you, and you know, you know what he says? Peace. Now, I've always focused on that grace part, like, oh, grace, grace. I sign all my emails, grace and peace. If when I send an email to you, it says grace plus peace at the bottom. But in my brain, when I'm sending that, I'm thinking about the grace and I'm missing the peace. And I'm, I'm saying, oh my gosh, well, I, it's a reality that we're meant to live in. And the 23rd Psalm is maybe the most famous passage in the entire Bible that's about peace. It paints the, a picture of the kind of life that's available to you and me, a life with God that's whole and that's full of peace peace and we need that to thrive and so uh let me let me unpack this for you really really briefly but the psalmist starts out and he says the, the the lord now if you know in the old testament whenever you see lord and it's in all caps that's a translation of the hebrew word yahweh the name the the self-revealed name of god anytime you see that if it's a lowercase it means it's a different hebrew word that just means master or one in charge but that's the, like the name yahweh the creator the source of life itself, the one holding all of this together, is my shepherd. And so he says that the shepherd leads you to quiet waters where things won't carry you away. And the shepherd leads you to green pastures and gives you what you need and, and restores or refreshes your soul. One of the things uh, that I did the first two weeks of sabbatical is I took care of some house projects that needed to be taken care of and 
we tried to take the, we bought the house and, and um, this wallpaper had been put in from like the 90s in, in one of the bathrooms and, and uh, so we'd kind of half taken it off and lived with this half peeled off paper um, that the kids use and just kind of looked nasty and we'd gotten used to it and figured out, you know, I, oh, oh wow, it only took a day to take all of that off. Why didn't we do this four years ago? I don't know. Uh, but, but one of the things is that they left this cabinet above the toilet where you can, you know, put all the stuff you need and, and, uh, and it was this wood kind of thing and it got me looking kind of dingy and I took it out to the garage and I took a, a sander and I sanded it and then I went and I bought some urethane with its gloss and I sprayed it like several coats and I took the little handles off and I spray painted them black and I spray painted the mirror of the little light thing above the light to match it and I was like oh that looks really good yeah that's nice and I put it back up and the other day, uh, last night, one of Carrington's little friends came over that spends the night sometimes, and, I, and she was downstairs in the bathroom. And I said, oh, do you, you see this? And she's like, oh, I like that cabinet. She'd been over her house many times. What, what happened was, when it got restored, it got restored to its former glory. That's what the shepherd does for you. Restores you to your former glory. That's what God does for your soul. And then he leads you in right paths. You're confused? Trust the shepherd. And then, then he says that the, the, the Yahweh brings us comfort when we go through the valley of the shadow of death. What's the valley of the shadow of death? Well, it can be when someone dies, but it can also be when you feel like things are going to cave in on you and that you're not going to make it. And this is, listen really carefully, this is what the psalmist says happens. He says, at that point, I will fear no evil. Why? Because of my wishful thinking? Because I'm a positive person? Because I whistle in the dark? I served at a church once that was an older building, and underneath the, 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 the worship auditorium were these, these long hallways, and at night, it was really scary. <laughs> and a few times I had to go down there, and I would, uh, I would literally whistle. I'd be Is the psalmist saying that's why we're not going to fear evil because we just kind of have this little self-protection mechanism we've come up with? No. Why? Because you, the shepherd, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, understand that when you read the psalms and you see that word enemy, the enemy is anything that destroys life. So it can be a person that you feel like at that moment is uh, taking life from you in some way, but it's also other things like cancer and like addiction and like a layoff. And in the, in the face of all of those things, the shepherd sets a table for you and takes care of you. Um, and this is, this is the life uh, that Jesus says is available. Now, I've got a question for you, especially if you are a Christian, as I'm painting um, this picture and I'm living into this picture as well. Do you believe, again, if you say you're a person of faith, that this is actually a kind of life that you can live. I'm not talking about other people. I'm not talking about your kids. I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm not talking about people you think are super spiritual. I'm talking about you. Do, do you think this is a kind of life that you can live? Because listen, 
When Jesus said in John chapter 14, I came that they may, might have life and life more abundant, this is what he's talking about. And if you're not living in this kind of life, that does not mean that you are a failure. If you're not living it, it just means you haven't stepped into yet all that's available from God for you because you and I need peace to thrive. Second thing. Uh, I, ready, write this down, I am a wounded healer. I am a wounded healer. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am a wounded healer. Now, if you've never heard that phrase, that's from a guy by the name of Henry Nouwen. He wrote a book about it. Um, he was a Catholic priest. He, was, he, was, uh, he, he really um, had an incredible education. He taught at Yale. I mean, he, when you talk about being successful in his field, he was at the top of his field. And he wrote this book because he realized, I'm at the top of my field, and I don't understand why I can't make a difference. I don't get it. And uh, he, he writes, writes about it. He says, we have this inside of us that we, we think that we have to be okay all the time. And we think we have to pretend that we are okay all the time. But that's not reality. The reality is, is that you and I get dinged by life. Uh, when we were living in Virginia, our washing machine gave out. And uh, we, went, we heard about uh, this place called the Sears Scratch and Dent. Now, it's different than the Sears that just went out of business, different than that. Uh, this was uh, before all they had all those stores like that, um, and I think they were in most towns. I don't know if there was one here then, but you had to drive to this super sketchy part of town and risk your life getting out of your car to go into this giant warehouse, and you would find like washers and dryers and refrigerators, and then there would be like this little ding down on the corner or on the side, and because of that ding, they couldn't sell it in the store because it had an imperfection, uh, and so you would go there and you would pay hundreds of dollars less for, for your washer or for your dryer, and we went there a couple times and got uh, some different things, and, and here's, what I've, here's what I've realized. All of us are in the Sears Scratch and Dent warehouse. None of us are in the catalog, right? We think we got to look like we're in the catalog and everything's perfect, but we're not. Life has a tendency to ding you. You don't get through life without some dings. Now, you don't have to become a ding-a-ling in the face of all that, but you can't avoid the dings that life brings to you. And listen, 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 this is so important. Being dinged doesn't mean that you are done. Think about Jesus for a second. Where does Jesus' greatest ministry come out of? It's his wounds, right? We are still talking about how God took the wounds of Jesus and used them to redeem and restore all of humanity. Thomas, who we say was doubting Thomas, and we give him a hard time because he, he doubted apparently, and he said, you know, unless I put my hand in his side and I see the wounds, I won't believe. And then he sees Jesus post-resurrection, and he puts his hands, he said, Jesus says, Thomas, put your hand in my side, see my wounds. And he sees the wounds of Jesus, and he, he falls to his knees, and he says, oh, my Lord and my God. Here's what that means for you, is that your mess can become your message. That means that God never wastes a hurt. And here's what I found, okay? I'm just telling you me. 
and anyone who's been a pastor for a long time will tell you this, the way you succeed as a pastor is in how many hurts you can overcome. Because it's like, I think my friend Greg was here and he may have used this phrase, you know, pastoring's like death by a thousand paper cuts. <laughs> but all of us go through life and we get dinged. And Henry Nowen says, there isn't another way. And so you can become a wounded healer. Like the psalmist says, that you anoint my head with oil. You know what the, the image right there is of? The shepherd sees his sheep and the sheep has a wound. And he's like, come here, Bessie. <laughs> <laughs> come here and he, the shepherd takes the oil and sees the wound and applies the oil to the wound to heal it god knows and he sees your hurts we hide from them but god heals them and wants to use them as a source of healing for other people i'm a wounded healer third thing i have to live with margins i have to live with margin and limits i have to live with margin and limits turn to your neighbor and say i have to live with margin and limits to live with margin and limits. Listen, here's what, here's what that means. Here's what I mean by that. It's not possible for you, especially if you are a drive person who verges on being driven, you, you can't always push the go button. I have to rest and accept that I can't do everything. Now listen, I, I got some news for you. No one is going to do this for you. Uh, no one will tell you, take more time off. You have to lead your own life, and you can't be mad if someone else is not doing that for you. You're, you're responsible to do this. And there's, there's two ways I see us doing this and, and not living with margin and limits. And I, I only saw it from this side of the sabbatical because I didn't see it from the other side. Um, and, and the first way I see this is um, I was on a social media fast. I didn't get on Facebook. I didn't get on Instagram. I didn't get on Twitter. And it was like balm for my soul. Holy cow, what a cesspool. <laughs> uh, because for me, when I log on there, I didn't realize this, but if yeah, I see other people's whatever, this, that, the other, and it just feels like this endless to-do list, this uh, list of things that I need to learn or read or buy or do or explain. And, and when you're on social media a lot, the comparison game is inevitable. Well, they're doing fine. I'm not, what's going on with them? Well, their, their marriage is better. Their kids are better. They've got more money. They're doing a fine in life. Why am I struggling? And, and so, because they post their highlights, right? Everybody posts their highlights in the best picture that's been touched up. And, and, and it forces us to think we have no limits. And, and then we have these phones, we have these devices, and it was an incredible gift to not have it because now we're, now we're always available. Does anybody remember the day when you wanted to get a hold of somebody that you had to make a phone call? And when you would call them, you might not get them, and you would leave a, this weird thing called a voice message on an answering machine. You have three messages. Do you remember those days? And you might not get that message because maybe you were gone for two or three days and the other person didn't lose it because you hadn't responded to them in two or three days because they're like, oh, they're probably gone and they didn't get the message. And now we have this device that makes us instantly available and you send a text message to someone and you're waiting for the little bubbles to come back. Like, how, why are they not responding to me right now? What is wrong with that person? Right? I, I just want to tell you, that is not... Good. Let me give you the words from Genesis chapter 1 when God created man and God said, It is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man and woman to be constantly available on a phone. It's not good. It's not good for your soul. It may be good for business, but it is bad for peace. I, I came across this amazing quote about this. Listen, 
when the light in most people's faces comes from the glow of the laptop, the smartphone, or the television screen, we are living in a dark age. Let me say that to you again. When the light in most people's faces comes from the glow of the laptop, the smartphone, or the television screen, we are living in a dark age. Now, here's two things I'm doing uh, to combat that. Um, the first thing is this. I bought this watch. Uh, I bought an old-school watch with dials. I don't know. What, I bought, it has three other little dials on it, and I don't really know what they are, but it looked cool. So if you ask me, I'll go, I don't know what that does, but it looks cool. And uh, I, I bought a $10 watch, and then it stopped working, and so I bought a $35 watch that has continued to work. And uh, it's old school. It's like, you know, no buttons. You know, I can't get notices on my wrist. Uh, I, I, and I've, I've gone back to... Oh, what time is it? Because we rely on that phone to tell us everything. And, and what it, it's a way for me to disconnect and go, uh, you know what, that's not always good for my soul. And then the second thing is, is that we have to intentionally schedule time off. Because, see, I was able to be present to my kids in a way I haven't been in a really long time. And it was only possible because I didn't have all of those distractions. And so I'm, I'm putting intentional things in my calendar where I'm just like, you know what, I'm just going to be gone. And I'm not going to check back in. I'm not going to check my email. And I'm not going to respond to things. Because i gotta, I got to have a soul here. So I have to have margin. This last, last one is this. As I need to belong to God's family. I need to belong to God's family. Turn to your neighbor and say, I need to belong to God's family. Listen, you and I cannot do this alone. We cannot find and live in peace. We cannot be a wounded healer. We cannot live with margins and limits. We cannot do that by ourselves. We were not meant by God to do that by ourselves. And here's what the church is, God's family. It is God's family where we live in God's way, with God's values for the world that God loves so much. You need the church. It is your spiritual family, and it's going to be around for eternity. There is nothing else that is like it. You need it. Now, as a pastor, here's how I think about the church. I think, I think three things about the church. Number one, that we are a source of inspiration. I, now, by that, I don't mean rah-rah. I don't mean be more positive. I mean the root of that word, inspiration, is to put the spirit in. We are a spirit enterprise. I, 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 one of the things that I did, it was the best thing, one of the best things I did is I I. I I unsubscribed from all of these emails that I'd somehow, all these different people sending me this, that, the other, this thing, that thing, this thing will make that better, this will solve that problem, da 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 and, and what I realized, and all the ads that you get when you scroll through Facebook or on Instagram, and all the things that get mailed to your house, all the catalogs, what they're offering you is a source of inspiration, a certain kind of spirit. Because everybody is always looking for a different kind of spirit. Oh, if I had a different attitude, a different outlook, I'd be better. And so, but this is our job. We're a source of inspiration to literally put God's spirit, allow God's spirit to come into a person. And invade their heart and their life and their outlook and change them. And, and, and this, that's, that's why this room is holy ground. Because you come into this room and you go, I want a different spirit. I want God's spirit. And that's what we do here. So it's a, it's a source of inspiration. It's a family to belong to. That's why, listen, if this is it, if you think this is it and you show up here for an hour and you have no connection with other Christians and you have no way of reading the scriptures or you have no way of serving with other people, I'm sorry, but you're never going to succeed as a follower of Jesus. You need to belong to a family and that's why you need to be in a life group so someone can actually know who you are and actually love you. 
So I want you after the service to go to the community center and check out those life groups. And some of you need to lead one. You need to go, you know what? I've, God's really been nudging me. I need to lead one of those for some other people and I need to let that happen. And you, that's why you just can't do this alone. So many people try. Listen, there, there is nothing wrong with showing up um, on a, a Sunday morning or a, 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 in your pajamas, sitting in the living room and clicking on Facebook Live and watching. Hi, everybody on Facebook Live. There's nothing wrong with that. I just want to suggest that it's not the real deal, right? If you're out of town, please do that. But if you're in town, be here in the room. It's like you don't get to feel the, the warmth of the fire when you're online by yourself. I'm going to steal an illustration from a, a pastor that I, while we were at church one Sunday, because we went to church every Sunday, because we want inspiration <laughs> wherever we were, and, and we were in Florida, and I used this illustration. I'm totally stealing it, and it was, it was brilliant, though. He said, you know, if you, if you have a tulip, um, you show me a picture. You know, it's a be- one tulip's beautiful, right? Ah, oh, what a beautiful tulip. Ah. Oh. But you're driving down the street, and you see someone's yard, and they've got one tulip. You don't stop, right? You don't go, well, you know, I'm... I'm going to stop and look at that one beautiful tulip. No. If they have just a little collection of tulips in their yard, you might drive by and go, oh, look, they planted some tulips. How nice is that? But if you see this, like, it's like, Ethel, stop the car. Let's take a picture, right? That's gorgeous. All of that together. Well, what if that's the picture of the church? You're meant to be beautiful together. You're meant to belong not be the solitary thing trying to express your own beauty in the world. You were never meant for that. Um, and this is the third thing, is that the church is a force for good uh, in the world. Um, this is why we do all of this stuff. We talk about being for the region, and we do kindness in Jesus' name, and why a couple Sundays ago you served our community, and um, you gave them well over 600 backpacks, and um, that's why we take a Christmas offering every year, and we give it all away, and that's why we do the Christmas concert. I mean, that's, that's why we do these big things that we do. And then that's why in a life group, we want you to serve with your group because we're supposed to be a force for good in the world. You know, at the end of the, at the, end of the psalm, you know what the psalmist says? Surely your goodness, and, and the old King James says, and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness, see, we're, we're agents of goodness in the world. The church is a force for good in the world. And so we do what, the, what Jesus did. His, his self-identified mission was he said, the Son of Man, I came to seek and to save the lost. That's why I came, and that's why the mission of the church is the same exact thing. Came to seek and save the lost. We were getting ready to drop our kids off with uh, Andrea's sister, and um, I had to run to the store, so I went to Target. And while I was in Target, uh, if, you, if you've been to Target, you know, if you go to Target and you're wearing tan pants and a red shirt, people are going to stop you, so don't do that, Right? <laughs> I wasn't doing that, but you know, I, I noticed all of a sudden this kind of like increased activity of people in red shirts, and they have walkie-talkies, and I heard them talking over the walkie-talkies. And uh, the person over the walkie-talkie was saying, I need everyone to put down what they're doing because we have a lost child. And then there are more red shirts are looking like all over the place. They stopped everything that they were doing. Uh, the child is, uh, bl- is four years old, has blonde hair. I need everyone to put everything down that they're doing right now. And, then, and, and, and pretty soon I walked past this aisle and there was this mom with this little girl just hugging her like, oh my gosh. And, and this store person was saying, hey, it happens all the time. 
It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. See, that is the mission of the church, to seek and to save what was lost. Listen, you were not made to do this alone. You, you need to belong to God's family. If you belong here, you matter. You matter. Well, I'd like to pray for you, and I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. And I'm going to ask you to do something uh, a little bit uh, unusual if you're here a lot, uh, and I'm going to make you uncomfortable. And uh, uh, when, a, when, a, when a preacher has been out of preaching for six weeks, it's kind of like shaking up a bottle of Coke and building up the pressure. And like, I could go another 45 minutes, but I'm not going <laughs> to. But I'm going to ask you to do something a little uncomfortable, okay? If you say, I would like to live the life that Jesus says. I would like to begin to access it. I'm not telling you this is not a, this is not a thing that can be handed to you and it just, like you take the pill and it's, it's a life you enter into. But you say, I would like to enter into in a fuller way that kind of a life where I have peace, where I'm a wounded healer. God does something with my wounds and my hurts where I, I live with margin and I belong to it. You say you want that. Here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to go like this. Remember when you were in school and your teacher said, who knows, and you would go, Right? That's what I want you to, I want you to have that inside of you right now. Yeah, me, I want, I, I know, I know, I know. And then I'm going to pray for you right now. Keep your hand up, okay? Ready? Lord, thank you for the fact that you are greater than our hearts. Like John says, when our hearts condemn us, you are greater than our hearts. Thank you uh, that you bring shalom, you bring wholeness to us. That you see the dings we've been through, that you're not overwhelmed by that. You're never threatened or overwhelmed by how broken we are. And you have a purpose for our pain. Thank you that we can have the, uh, the courage and the strength to lead our own life and live with margin. And thank you for the unbelievable compliment of inviting us to be part of your family. A source of inspiration, a family to belong to, a force for good in the world. We want all that you have to offer. So we have our hand up because we want it. We want every bit of it. We don't want anything left on the table. We want to take it all. And we pray this in your son's name. And everybody who wanted that said, amen. You're sent now to love God, to love people, to serve the world. Hug somebody. Tell them you love them. See you next week.